We read scripture from Proverbs chapter 8. We turn to Proverbs chapter 8. We hear the inspired word of God. Doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth her voice? She standeth in the top of high places, by the way, in the places of the paths. She crieth at the gates, at the entry of the city, at the coming in, at the doors. Unto you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of man. O ye simple, understand wisdom, and ye fools, be ye of an understanding heart. Hear, for I will speak of excellent things, and the opening of my lips shall be right things. For my mouth shall speak truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing froward or perverse in them. They are all plain to him that understandeth, and right to them that find knowledge. Receive my instruction, and not silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and find out knowledge of witty inventions. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy, and the evil way, and the froward mouth do I hate. Counsel is mine, and sound wisdom. I am understanding, I have strength. By me kings reign, and princes decree justice. By me princes rule, and nobles even all the judges of the earth. I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. Riches and honor are with me, yea, durable riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yea, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. I lead in the way of righteousness, in the midst of the paths of judgment, that I may cause those that love me to inherit substance, and I will fill their treasures. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way, before his works of old. I was set up from everlasting, from the beginning, or ever the earth was. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the depth, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the foundations, the fountains of the deep, when he gave to the sea his decree that the waters should not pass his commandment, when he appointed the foundations of the earth, then I was by him as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the habitable part of his earth, and my delights were with the sons of men. Now therefore hearken unto me, O ye children, for blessed are they that keep my ways. Hear instruction, and be wise, and refuse it not. Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. 
For whoso findeth me findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death. We read God's word that far. The text of our sermon this morning is verses 32 and 33, but then also including, including 34. Now therefore hearken unto me, O ye children, for blessed are they that keep my ways. Hear instruction, and be wise, and refuse it not. Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. May God bless his word to our hearts. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, these words are specifically directed toward the children of the church. Children who are with us this morning. This is an important point that we've noted in the past. And it's something that you children must not miss. God, in his word, directs that word to children. He directs his attention to you. And he addresses you personally. God is interested not just in the adults in the church. He's also interested in the children. And God views the children as members of his kingdom and members of his covenant. There are those who claim that our children are to be viewed as pagans and that we don't view them as those who are already from little on incorporated and included in God's kingdom and God's covenant. A passage like this demonstrates the folly of that. God directs his word of love to children. And so that we don't view our children as those who are pagans who must yet be at some point then converted and dealt with as pagans until such a time. Our children need to repent from their sins. Our children need to believe in Jesus Christ. We view them as children of the covenant. Those whom God has seen fit ordinarily to regenerate already in infancy. And those then who hear the word of their heavenly father and respond in love. Our children must be raised then as those who are a part of the covenant and kingdom of God. And we look for the fruit that will be evident in their lives of godliness and holiness and a commitment to Jesus Christ as their Lord. Children and young people, God is interested in you and God is interested in how you live and how you conduct yourself. And he sets before you here in this text a calling. A calling that's not coming from Pastor Brummel. A calling that's coming from Jesus Christ. And he says, hearken to me. Pay attention. Listen to me. Do you know the way of blessedness? That's the question that he poses before us. Do you know the way of blessing? The way of blessing, the way that leads to happiness, the way that leads to joy. You want to know that, and I want to know that. What is that way of joy? The way of joy and the way of blessedness, as Solomon here by the inspiration of the Spirit, directs us, is not the way of having a lot of money. It's not the way of having beautiful homes and nice vehicles and a lot of possessions. The way of blessing is not fame and honor and glory. The way of blessing is not being freed from your parents and from their restricting demands on you. The way of blessedness is listening to the person in our text. Hearken unto me, O ye children, for blessed are they that keep my ways. And that person here is Jesus. And those ways 
are God's commandments. In these summer months, it's important for us to have this reminder. We're not reading the Bible, maybe, with a regular regularity that we otherwise would in school. We're not singing as we normally would in school and praying with our classmates and with our teachers. And even at times, because of all the busyness of summer with sports and with other activities and vacations, sometimes even our family devotions are threatened. And we're not spending time in the Word and prayer. We're not listening to Christ as we ought. Are we taking time to listen to wisdom? God establishes His covenant with us in Jesus Christ. And in so doing, God lays upon baptized children an obligation. We read about that in the baptism form when it talks about two parts to God's covenant. God establishes that covenant we know unilaterally through Jesus Christ. And then God places upon our baptized children a calling, an obligation, a demand. They are gods and they belong to him as his friends. And they're now to serve him and to glorify him and to obey him in everything that they do. That's our part, our obligation, our calling within the covenant. We're thankful that God gives to us families where godly husbands and wives are leading their children in this way. We're thankful for the church and we're thankful for schools that God provides us to assist us in that training. This morning we take heed to wisdom and to grow in our ability faithfully to live in obedience to Christ. And so we take as our theme admonished to hear instruction noting first that admonition secondly the temptation and finally the fruit the admonition comes here strongly in our text hearken unto me hear instruction we read in verses 32 and 33 now what's striking in this chapter is that wisdom is speaking verse 1 doth not wisdom cry so wisdom is calling and wisdom is calling out And we would say then that throughout the chapter, the one that's speaking in the first person is wisdom. In previous chapters, we find sometimes foolishness talking. Sometimes we find um, wisdom also speaking. But it's striking that they're personified so that they're as though they're people that are speaking. Folly is calling to young men. And it's pictured here in the previous chapters. The idea of folly calling to young men, saying, come, come, follow after me. And the picture here is a wicked woman who's trying to lure a young man into the ways of sin. And so that's folly. And God says, don't listen to folly. Don't follow after folly. That way is going to be trouble. It's going to be difficult. But also, wisdom is calling out. And the admonition of God is, listen to wisdom. Turn your back on folly, but listen to wisdom. And so we have an antithesis here that's established. Follow after wisdom, don't follow after folly. And that antithesis is set out here in our text. Whoever finds me, finds life, we read in verse 35. He that sinneth against me and pursues folly, experienced death, hell ultimately. 
And so all kinds of warnings are directed. Folly is drawing young men into drunkenness, into sexual perversions, into pride, into all kinds of pursuits of this life, into laziness. Whereas wisdom calls young men to believe, to hearken to their parents, to show love and respect to Jehovah God and to walk in holiness and in godliness. Now we know who the voice of wisdom is and that comes out through the text. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence in verse 12. And as the text, as the passage develops, we're able to get a better idea of who this wisdom is. It's a bit perplexing at first. Verse 15, by me kings reign and, wisdom, and princes decree justice. So, by wisdom, kings rule. And then going on to talk about the fact that wisdom existed before anything was created. I was set up from everlasting, from the beginning, or ever the earth was. When there was no depths, I was brought forth. And then talking about wisdom actually dwelling with God. Verse 30, I was with him as one brought up with him. I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. The him there being God. So that wisdom was brought up with God. And we are brought to the conclusion that wisdom here is the personification of Jesus Christ. This is Jesus Christ in the Old Testament talking about himself as that voice of wisdom. And that's confirmed in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And so Jesus makes clear here that I am the one speaking to you children. And my word is a word of power. And you need to listen. You need to obey. You need to follow the way that is wise. Christ makes clear that his word is a matter of life and death. Those who hear and obey will find life. Those who refuse to hear experience death. Now this is important for you children and young people clearly to understand. This instruction is a matter of life and death. That's not the case with most of the training that you experience. Whether or not you're able to get all the multiplication tables down pat, whether you're able to know the capital of Australia or other facts in history or geography are not matters necessarily of life or death. Whether or not you're able to make 10 free throws in a row is not a matter of life or death. So that sports ability and other gifts that God may give. But when it comes to this, God is saying, this is more important than all of those other things. Whereas other instruction is not going to have such an eternal impact upon you and upon your walk with me. This is a knowledge that will. Those who do not listen to wisdom reveal they hate it and they despise it. Spiritual wisdom and understanding isn't something that can be taken or left. It's that which must be embraced by faith and lived. These are not matters that you can be lukewarm in. So that as children and young people, when Christ comes now and says, hearken unto me, listen, we need to be all ears and we want to hear, what does Christ have to say to me? How is it that I am to walk and to conduct myself in a way that's pleasing in his sight? And so he comes and says, Hearken unto me, O sons, 
And then verse 34 broadens it to men. Men must hear, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. Now the picture that Solomon is painting here in, in verse 34 is really important for us to understand and to see. So eager the people were to hear instruction that they're lined up waiting at the gate. And the picture there is that at the gate is where they would interact with each other and they would grow in their understanding and appreciation for different things that had to be taught and different instruction. And these people are standing with eagerness and anticipation at the doorposts. They want to hear from wisdom. They want to know what does wisdom have to say to them. Is that you? Is that me? Are we standing, waiting, wanting to hear from wisdom? There are so many distractions in our lives. And especially during these summer months, there are so many distractions. Is Christ part of your desires? Is Christ even central in your daily desires? The word of Christ comes with authority. It comes with power. And it sets forth either you love wisdom and life or you love foolishness, folly, and death. Either you're walking in love toward God or you're walking in hatred toward God. If you're not watching daily at the gates, eager to hear Christ and wanting to know what Christ has to say to you and how you can grow in wisdom and understanding, you're loving death. Now the duty then is to hear instruction, verse 33, and to keep my ways, verse 32. We are children of God. As children of God, we submit to our Heavenly Father. We want to do what our Father commands us to do. And Christ now says, I want you to be teachable. I want you to listen. Now what is the instruction that he provides? Especially three things we would note here. First of all, instruction in the truth. True knowledge of God. True knowledge of God of Jesus Christ, true knowledge of the Holy Spirit, true knowledge of us, who and what we are. As we stand before the living God, He reveals to us truth. Truth is not something that is relative based on how we feel or what we're going through at this time in our lives. Truth is truth. And that truth has to do with who am I? I'm a sinner. And I'm tempted to follow after the way of foolishness. I need to repent. I need to turn from my sins daily. It's true knowledge of myself as not only a sinner, but one who's been saved by the grace of God. I've been given to know Christ. And I think about my baptism. The blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed all my sins. I live in the consciousness that I will not be held accountable for my sin and my sinfulness because Jesus Christ took it on himself. He bore that which I deserved. And now, as a sinner, having been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, I want to hear Christ. I love him. I delight in him. He's my Lord and Savior. And I desire now to follow where he would take me. That truth is that which Jesus Christ instructs and leads us in. Now it's broad, the true knowledge of history, the true knowledge of the universe, of creation, how this world came into being. 
as we pursue math, as we pursue sciences and all of the very aspects, we're learning truth. And truth is the basis of wisdom. We're learning about God, about His hand in the whole of creation, about God's hand in our lives, and God's giving of a Savior in Jesus Christ. Christ doesn't lie to us. We're learning about who God is as the glorious, sovereign God of heaven and earth. When He speaks, He's speaking the truth to us. We learn about the value and place of God's Word in our lives and the importance of it. We need the Bible as the authoritative guide of that instruction that leads us into the truth. And so this instruction is truth. We're not going to find that in the world. You're not going to find that outside of God's Word and God's church. And God then places us in homes where God's Word is central. He brings us into churches where God's Word is taught and proclaimed in order that we might grow in that truth of His Word. The truth concerning sexuality. The truth concerning marriage. One man, one woman for life. The truth concerning God's hatred of all aberrations, homosexuality and others. We need parents, we need teachers, we need churches who love the truth. Homes where that truth is taught and where that truth is promoted and where we're committed then to listening and hearing and following after that way of truth. Wisdom is present where there's truth. But secondly, it's not enough just to have the truth. Well, that truth needs to be applied to our lives. And that's, secondly, instruction in righteousness. So instruction in the truth and instruction in righteousness. And righteousness practically is now doing what's right before God. Taking the truth that we understand and know about God, about ourselves, about the wonder of His work, and now living it. Applying it to our walk and to our life. So that wisdom is taking that knowledge now in very practical situations and putting it into practice. Walking in a right way and living according to God's will. That right living is demanded of us by Christ. Wisdom doesn't teach us sinful speech and sinful attitudes and sinful conduct. Wisdom teaches us the truth and then leads us to turn away from that sinful speech to turn away from that sinful conduct and to walk in a manner that's right and pleasing in God's eyes. Again, we need parents, we need teachers, we need pastors who are leading and guiding us in that way that's right. And you need to be listening so that as Jesus speaks to you and as he speaks to you concerning the truth, as he works by his spirit in your life, you take that truth now and you walk rightly in accordance with his will. It matters how you live, and it matters what you do with that truth. But then finally, it's instruction in the truth, instruction with regard to righteousness, that is correction. Because of our sinfulness, this wisdom of God corrects us. It has to chastise, it has to rebuke us. The word instruction in Hebrew is the word discipline chastisement or correction sometimes is the translation even of the word. So that Jesus doesn't just teach wisdom and right living and then make it optional. He disciplines, he corrects. And that's what the book of Proverbs is all about. Solomon 
as the father coming to his children now with words of admonition and words of correction, words of rebuke. So that wisdom steps on our toes. Wisdom tells us, you ought not do that. You may not. You need to repent. And wisdom then tells us, don't do this, but this is what you must be doing. Now as children, as young people, we don't like that correction. We don't want that correction. The devil works in us so that we resist it. And the devil wants us to rebel against correction, to rebel against then wisdom and righteousness. And that's what the fool does. And folly is in our hearts. The fool says, I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to pay attention to that way which is wise and that way which is right. I'm going to do what I want to do. And how quickly doesn't that expose itself from early on? Children having tantrums. Children not wanting to do what their parents tell them they must do. Children selfish, wanting to do their own will and pursue their own way. And as teenagers, we get caught up in that. We don't want to listen to our parents. We don't want to obey them. We lie to them. We work behind their back and we pursue our own will in our own way. The devil does not want us to be corrected. He wants us to pursue the way that leads to death. But Christ corrects. Wisdom rebukes and wisdom corrects and wisdom drives to repentance and true sorrow. And wisdom says, no, you need to walk this way. This is the way that leads to life and everlasting. And so wisdom talks to you about your speech, about your attitude. Wisdom addresses your actions and your conduct toward those around you. Are you walking in love? Christ doesn't want you to have a bad mouth. He doesn't want you treating others wickedly. He does not want you violating the rules of your home. He doesn't want you violating the rules of the classroom. Christ requires that your parents, your teachers, He requires that those who are placed in authority over you discipline that they turn you away from folly to the path of wisdom and Christ's at work by his spirit in your heart and so this instruction then Christ brings in love to those who are his own and so we hear wisdom when we are at home when the Bible is read when we study the Bible with our family we hear wisdom we hear Christ This is Christ now coming to me and showing me the way that I must go. This is Christ correcting me. This is Christ encouraging me. And he gives me all of the wealth and riches of all the experiences of those who have gone before me to show me both what we ought not do, but also what we must do in the way that we ought go. Family devotions are crucial in this regard. Fathers need to teach your children in your homes. Teach them the truth. Teach them righteousness. And teach them by disciplining them. We live in a day and age where knowledge of the Bible is at its lowest. The generations that are rising up in the churches don't know the Bibles like their parents and their grandparents did. And we're not exempt from that problem. We're shamed by it. And it impresses upon us the importance. If you love your children... You need to be leading your children in wisdom. You need to be directing them to Christ 
and to his word. The vitality of a congregation is going to be determined by the vitality of her members. Where her members are not in the word, where her members are not teaching the word in the home, that congregation is going to struggle. And the fruit is going to be unrighteousness and folly. But where members are in their Bibles, they're studying them. Where fathers are faithfully teaching their sons and their daughters, the church will flourish. And the covenant faithfulness of God will be evident. Children, hear, heed wisdom. Listen in your homes. Listen at school. Listen within the church. When we come together for worship, we come together to hear what God would have to say to us, his children. We bring our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving as we know what God has done for us. And God speaks to us. And with thankfulness, we receive and we hear his word. And his word pricks us. It tells us you should not have been doing what you did last night. It warns us and says, The activities in which you've been engaged are not good. Those friends that you're hanging with, those are not the friends that you ought to be spending time with. Your attitude toward your spouse, it needs to improve. God's word comes and it speaks and that's a transforming word. It's a word that renews us. It's a word that drives us to our knees, brings us to Christ and works in us true sorrow. And so we come to church with a teachable spirit. We open the word with a teachable spirit. Not to be critical. We want to hear what Christ has to say to us. We don't just come out of habit. We come with joy. We come with the eagerness that is spoken of here in verse 34. Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. He's eager. He wants to hear. He wants to know what Christ has to say. That's the eagerness, the waiting, the watchfulness that is characteristic here of those who desire wisdom. And so with eagerness, we come up to the house of the Lord. The preaching is central. The Word of God is what we need after a busy and difficult week in the midst of the world. God's word lifts us. It reminds us of who we are. It reminds us of the wonder of God's goodness and God's mercy that fails never. We hear encouragement that God gives as he encourages us to press on, to persevere. Don't be weary in well-doing. We're reminded vengeance belongs to the Lord. We're reminded of our identity. Our identity is not based on what others have done to us or what they think of us. I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And nothing, nothing can separate me from the wonder of his love. We take an interest in the things of God's word. We study our catechism. We grow in our ability to understand God's hand in our lives. And we realize that all of this is not about merely my parents. It's not about the church. It's not about the pastor. It's about Christ because he is my wisdom. And he's the one that leads and guides me in the way of blessedness and the way of joy. I want to hear his instruction. And I want not just to be a hearer, I want to be a doer of that word. I want to know the truth and I want to live it in righteousness. That eagerness to be taught the things of God's kingdom characterizes the children 
whom God is pleased to regenerate from infancy. And what a joy that we as parents are able to receive these gifts from God. And we're thankful that God is at work in their hearts. Apart from God's work, all the instruction and teaching and training and discipline, it would be in vain. But thankful for God's promise to be a God to us and to our seed. Now that begins with us as adults. We need to be those who show our love for and our interest in wisdom. We need to be spending time in God's word. We need to be engaged in our own personal devotions. We need to be leading in our desire to be engaged in Bible studies and to grow in our understanding and appreciation for the word of God. And as we grow then in our own homes and our own families and the church, showing leadership in that way in the pursuit of Bible study, gathering with the saints to grow together in the Word of God, encouraging one another as husbands and wives to be engaged in this desire, children encouraging parents, parents encouraging children and young people, so that together there's an eagerness that characterizes our lives. We know that nothing really matters apart from God's Word. Everything else is going to perish. But God's word will endure to all eternity as that word will live in our hearts and in the souls of our redeemed children. Everything else is going to perish. We can't take anything with us. And so as men, especially of the congregation, we lead the way. God calls you men to be spiritual leaders in the church and in your homes. So serious this is that God himself says that I'm giving to men the place of leadership within the church and so that we do not admit women into the offices of the church believing that that's in obedience to God's word. But where men are too busy with the things of this world where men are not growing in wisdom are not increasing in godliness and righteousness and holiness, the church faces a tragedy. Where are the godly men? Where are those who are following wisdom, who are pursuing wisdom, who are teaching that wisdom in their homes? Beloved, we pray that never happened in our congregation. When we're too busy with earthly activities that we can't gather together with our fellow saints to study God's word, we need to be examining ourselves are we putting our priorities right? Is wisdom central and primary in our lives? As parents, we take the lead in our homes with our children, with our young people, talking with them about the truth, about righteousness, disciplining and leading them and guiding them in that way that's everlasting. And our children are going to learn from us how we value the Word. They're going to learn from us how to prepare for devotions, how to do devotions, how to read the Bible, how to study. They're going to learn from us how to pray. Are we teaching? Are we leading them by our example and by our instruction? They're going to lead from, learn from us about how to discipline themselves, how right use of their time must be done. Be those, beloved, waiting at the gates watching at the posts, eager to learn more, eager to grow in our knowledge of Christ and the greatness of His glory, that He might receive all praise and all honor. 
and thankful then for the opportunity to lead our children and to lead our young people. In that eagerness and in that joy. And herein too, beloved, is the basis for our Christian schools. We thank God that God has given us schools where our children can attend, not to learn the foolishness of the world and the foolishness of men, but the wisdom of God, righteousness, and where discipline is administered in love. As Reformed believers, we insist that our children receive then an instruction that's very particular. They must be brought up in the aforesaid doctrine as two young couples committed to and pledged this morning. This is the Reformed doctrine that confesses that everything exists for one purpose, God's glory. Why are we here? God's glory. And even our salvation is not the ultimate end of all things. Our salvation is a means to the glory of God so that God saves us and God saves our children so that we might abound in the praise of His glory now, already in the midst of this world. That we might shine as lights. That we might be testifying to those around us concerning the glorious hope that is ours. That we might show not an earthly-mindedness, a materialistic spirit, but that we might show that we are Christ-like and that we delight in the things of His kingdom, that we're fighting that good fight of faith, that we're teaching our children to fight that good fight of faith in order that we might walk in the ways of wisdom. Children, hear the truth. Walk in righteousness and receive correction. Now, what is the temptation? The temptation is to refuse it. And that's why the admonition has to come here. Refuse it not. That's the temptation. And that admonition reveals God's knowledge of you and of me. We're rebels by nature. And that rebellious spirit doesn't want to sacrifice. Doesn't want to give up the things that we hold dear. There's a subtle rebellion when we come under the word, but our heart isn't in it. We hear what the word has to say, but we resist. We're interested in worldly things instead. Our mind and our heart are set on all kinds of other stuff. And so, yes, we're in church, but we're not thinking about Christ. We're not thinking about wisdom. We're doodling. We're thinking about the things that have to be taken care of this next week, planning our work week. We're doing everything but seeking to hear Christ and his word. But then there's also that temptation to come to church but then to be harboring a wicked life and a wicked walk. We put on a good front but behind it there's godless unrepentant living. We're engaged in outright sin and we're walking in a manner that's contrary to God's will. But we don't want to confess that sin. And so we just keep coming to church. We just go through the motions to try to cover that which is the reality of our lives. God will expose that sin in love. And God in love causes His children not to be able to continue to hide those unrepentant sins in their lives. They are exposed, humbled we are, and God brings us to repentance. But we hear the admonition, repent, flee to the cross. Know the forgiveness that's in Jesus Christ and don't pursue the ways of ungodliness, the ways that lead to death. 
Then there's that open rebellion. We don't want to hear the truth. And we therefore do not want to come to Christ. We do not want to have our toes stepped on with the word. And so we refuse to hear instruction. Do you know what you're doing? Do you know what you're saying when you're acting that way? You're saying to Jesus Christ, I hate you. I don't want to listen to you. I don't want to learn about you. I'm more interested in myself than I am in Jesus, God's own Son, who came down from heaven to give himself for the sake of his people. What you're really saying then is, I love death. I want to pursue my own way and my own will. And ultimately then, I don't care if I go to hell. What a tragedy. And as young people, we need to repent. We need to realize the seriousness of our attitude and our actions. God knows that our natures refuse instruction. We don't want to be corrected. As children, as young people, we don't want to be told that we're wrong. We don't want to have to listen to those in authority. We're more interested in ourselves and what we want and what we think. But God calls you in love to realize because of that sinful rebellion in your nature, I've given you parents. I've given you office bearers in the church. I've given you teachers in the schools in order that they might show you your sin and that by my grace you might turn away from it. Turn away from that selfishness. Turn away from that pursuit of our own pleasures and our own will. Proverbs 22 verse 15 states, Foolishness is bound in the heart of the child. And you're familiar with the remedy that God gives. Discipline, the rod and the reproof. But we know the poison of sin in our own lives. And it must frighten us. We must realize how powerful the devil is. How easy it is for the devil to get us to start justifying our sinful behavior. And we have to pray for the grace that God expose it and that God turn us and that God give us to understand and to know wisdom. Romans 7, 19, The good that I would, I do not. The evil that I would not, that I do. Just a couple chapters before this, in Proverbs 5, we have the grief of the repentant son who now realizes what he had done. He realizes he refused to heed the instruction of Christ. And as a result, tremendous sorrow was his. We read this in verses 11 to 14 of Proverbs 5. And thou mourn at the last, when thy flesh and thy body are consumed, and say, How have I hated instruction, and my heart despised reproof, and have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to them that instructed me. I was almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation and the assembly. I was walking in the pursuit of sin, and I'm ashamed, and I realize what a devastation I did to myself and to those around me. Thank God for drawing me out of the mire and giving me to know forgiveness and hope through Jesus' shed blood. Beloved, the temptation, again, is that we despise, that we refuse instruction, or that we become proud and we begin to think that we're better than those around us. After all, look at me. I'm not like that one. Look at how faithful I've been. Look at how diligent I have. And we become proud. And in our pride, then, we glory in our own accomplishments rather than in Christ. Don't look to yourself. 
Don't look down on others as though they're less faithful than you. So easy we can become respecters of persons, but we realize I am what I am by the marvelous grace of God alone. There's also this temptation, discouragement. Easy it is to become overwhelmed with the circumstances of life, the calling that God has placed, and we begin to despair. And in that too, we look to wisdom. We are weak, but wisdom is everlasting, all-powerful. And Jesus Christ will preserve and keep his own by his spirit and by his power. We look to him with diligence, watching daily at the gates, waiting at the doors. And the fruit, beloved, is blessedness. Blessed are they that keep my ways. God graciously, who listens and heeds wisdom, filled with happiness. Now, listening to wisdom is a burden at times because it requires of us a change of life and a change of walk. It's a challenge. It requires of us memorization. It requires of us attentiveness. It requires sacrifice. It can be hard work. Standing for the truth can involve us being mocked and ridiculed and persecution even. Christ says, whether you feel it or not, blessed are those who listen to wisdom. Those who wait at the gates are blessed because God has worked in their hearts the eternal joy of covenant communion and fellowship with the living God. That's life. Life is to be with God and to know God. And God gives not only us that life, but he's pleased to give that life to our children and to work in them that joy. Whoso finds me finds life. That's not something that is our doing. It's a wonder and a marvelous work of God's grace. God has given to you and to me the most precious gift that he could. He's given life in Jesus Christ. And as those who are the recipients of that life, nothing can compare. Everything is going to be left behind when we die. We can't take anything with us. But that life will endure to all eternity. Those who refuse to hear are miserable. Their lives are a continual death. They can put on a good front, but destruction and misery are their way. Where there is no correction, there is no blessedness. There's no happiness. But God bestows these blessings by faith. And God works that faith in our hearts and in the hearts of our children that we might walk before him in love and know the marvelous work that he's performed on our behalf. And to know that the hearer and the doer of my word are blessed. They're blessed because of the love of God by which God has embraced us and the love by which God has taken us to the cross and given us to know the forgiveness of our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. Those who are dead don't listen. They don't hear. They don't have ears. But God gives ears to his children and he restores them in that life and he increases us in wisdom as a gift of grace. So that, beloved, this morning, our celebration and our joy is in God's covenant faithfulness and the marvel by which God has taken us and he's put us at the gate. He's put us before the doorposts and he's worked in us an eagerness, a delight, a joy to hearken to Christ in order that we might know the truth, that we might know righteousness, and that we might be corrected in order that the whole of our lives abound to his glory and his praise. Amen.
Our Father who art in heaven, what great things thou hast done for us. Forgive us our complacency and stir us up unto the joy and the wonder of our salvation. And be with us as parents that we might train up our children in the fear and honor of thy name. That they might see our joy, that they might see our delight and our love for Christ and for the truth. And that they might pursue the way that is right and pleasing in thy sight by the wonder of thy work in their hearts. So keep us and preserve us, we pray, for Jesus' sake.